The views and opinions expressed in this podcast by the host or the guest do not necessarily reflect the views of Paranormal Buzz Radio or its sponsors. Use of any material produced by Paranormal Buzz Radio without express written consent is strictly prohibited. For information on everything Paranormal Buzz Radio has to offer, visit our website, ParanormalBuzzRadio.com. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Listener discretion is advised. I think I've always believed in the paranormal, but the deeper I get in this field, the more questions I uncover. I started a program called Seeking the Paranormal in an effort to gain insight and dialogue from others interested in the same things as me. And while we've learned a lot together, the questions still remain. So I'm bringing my thoughts to the airwaves, and I've brought along my friends, Adam and John, to share in the fun. Together, we'll tackle the tough topics and debate the evidence as we continue to seek the paranormal. All right, welcome, friends. This is Seeking the Paranormal with Sarah, Adam, and John. And since this is our first episode, we thought we would give you all an opportunity to get to know us a little bit better. So we'll just go around and kind of give um, a little bit of information about each of us, a little bit of history about each of us, and then we can uh, delve a little deeper into some topics. Um, I'll start. I always kind of remember being interested in the paranormal or kind of horror movies and horror books. Um, I've always been a huge reader. So I remember going to the library and always picking out books. If it wasn't true crime, uh, which is probably one of my first passions, um, then it was horror and always wanted to watch horror movies. And I think that that ultimately is probably what led me to be involved in the paranormal. Um, I didn't have any like crazy apparitions appearing to me as a child or anything like that. Unfortunately, I think it was just natural kind of evolution, I guess, from my interests. And then realized probably about the time that Ghost Hunters came on TV that people were really doing this. It wasn't just um, movies and books. About the time Ghost Hunters made their debut, I started taking classes at our local community college on paranormal and when I was done with those kind of sat back and thought okay well now I've learned some stuff I need to start doing something with it and looks at Adam and and said let's let's go let's start doing this so we found some friends who had uh, mutual interest and that is really how we got started so I've probably been researching the paranormal I want to say like on a serious level for about 10 years um, I couldn't tell you how many investigations we've been on we've been on quite a few we like going to the commercially haunted locations, um, but actually, I think it's more fun sometimes to find those places that haven't been investigated at all, um, like the Granger House in Marion, or uh, finding places that have only been investigated a few times, because then you don't really know what to expect, um, and then you're not let down either when nothing happens or it doesn't happen like it like it does on TV, which, side note, turn off the TV shows, folks, start reading books. The experience is much better and your education will be served that way. I appreciate probably the history of paranormal investigating a little bit more than the science side of things. Um, I'm our reader. I like to find things in, in our evidence and then see if I can find correlating, I guess, evidence uh, through historical files, whether it be census records, obituaries, things like that. Um, and to me, that's the ultimate proof that, you know, how else would I have found this person if, if they would not given me some information for me to go back and find them um, in history? So that, that's kind of my interest. Um, I've been blessed to make some really amazing contacts in this field. Um, I've gotten to hear several great people speak. I, I, like I said, I encourage you to read books, um, go to conferences, and not just the ones that have people from TV, because, yeah, it's cool to see people from TV, but they're really just actors in the long run. Uh, go places where you can hear them speak or hear people speak and get some perspective out of it. Do that. And, and, you know, I encourage you to do public events, too. Shoot, we've been doing this for how long now? And we still do public events every once in a while because you meet different people, 
get a different idea on how may, they might be doing something. Uh, maybe there's something in there that you can change the way you're doing it that's going to benefit you better. So you never know what you're going to get out of those. And I don't think that public events are just for people getting started. I think we all should be taking advantage of those opportunities as they come to. So I encourage you to do that. Always be trying to expand the way you're doing things. We'll talk about it in another episode, but I really, I think right now where I'm at is I really want to start questioning why we're doing the things that we're doing and why we're looking for the things that we're doing. And I want everybody to start doing that. So we're not just being sheep and copying what we see on TV, because that's really the only way that we're going to um, progress this field. So that is how I got started. John, we're... Where'd you get started? Well, it's always been an interest. Um, I got a mum who's a big believer. I've never been active until about 18 months ago. Um, I'm an IT guy and, you know, I do a lot of programming and everything's logic and it's nice to step away from that. Well, we started a group, WTF Investigations, and Buddy Jeff, who's a member of that, invited me to go to Edinburgh. I thought I'd go there for, you know, it'd be fun. be like camping in a abandoned <laughs> building. And while I was there, I was hearing things I shouldn't have heard. So that spurred me then to start a group, buy the equipment, and, um, you know, we just didn't have the equipment to capture it, which annoyed me. Um, so, and we've been doing it ever since. So, um, Fantastic. How long did you say you've been doing this? About 18 months, 18 actively. Months. It's, it's not a huge amount of time compared to some, but we've been doing it intensively. We go out at least twice a month. Absolutely. Or, you know, so. Well, we all had to get started somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I will give the disclaimer for any of our listeners that hear the clicking. We are accompanied by the Hyatt Pound here, so we've got dogs walking in and out, so I apologize for that, but they're just curious. All right, Adam, let's hear your story. All right, so... I got started interested in it because Sarah made me watch a show of Ghost Hunters. And if anybody remembers, it was a lighthouse in Florida, and they showed the shadow figure, or on the thermal camera maybe, I don't remember which one it was, but it appeared to peek over a railing and then jet off as fast as you could blink. And... I looked at her and said, why are we not doing this? I want to catch that on video someday. And uh, I've been pretty much hooked ever since. Um, I am definitely more of the video type person. I would definitely like to see something. Um, I like the personal experiences of hearing things, but I'm not one to sit down and listen for audio. Um, I'd rather look at uh, some cool video if that's at all possible. Um, I also enjoy all the cool technical toys. Those are always fun to play with. And I like the latest and greatest, if that's at all possible, and the budget allows, um, which sometimes it doesn't, but we do it anyways. (laughs) I want my own Hadron Collider. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, And along with Sarah, you know, we've gone to a lot of the conferences being able to sit and listen to other people's perspectives and their ideas um, I think has definitely changed the way that we go about our investigations and how professional we go about them. Um, So that's pretty much me in a nutshell, I guess. So you guys talked about equipment. John, what's your favorite piece of equipment? Um, at the moment, I'm not going to lie and I'm not going to pack my own bag. uh, (laughs) Plug. Yeah, no, we developed, so we developed a thing that I like to call the ghost feeder, Um, and it all came about, we were looking at the EM pumps um, that that people were putting in to get more activity um, by putting energy in the air, and when we looked at one, uh, well, when I looked at one, I figured out, well, it's it's just a motor that spins around in there on a 9-volt battery, Um, of course they go crazy when you put an EMF meter, because it's electromagnetic motor spinning around and around and fluctuating, which I thought was not the best way of putting energy into the air. So when I looked at it, I thought, well, you know, metal detectors put out a lot of magnetic energy, um, and you have the added bonus that they've got an inner loop that will, if something takes a charge and reflects it back, they will let you know that something's in that charge. So... 
I didn't think it worked because how many metal ghosts have you seen? But <laughs> I thought the theory was sound. You know, if it's going to take a charge and reflect it back, then, um, and we've had a lot of success with that. You're um, picking up the Tin Man. Basically, yeah, or, or at least the spirit of. And then, but, I mean, in general, I like stuff that um, has a sound theoretical, you know, basis to it, and also isn't too sensitive that you're picking up too many false positives, and isn't built, to be brutally honest, just for blinky lights and, and nice sounds, you know, those kind of turn me off. That's that's fantastic. And you made it yourself, which makes it even better. Adam, what's your favorite piece? Um, I have to go with the SLS camera. It can tend to be a little false if you don't know what you're looking at, um, as far as looking at a stationary object. It can map that as a figure, so if you're not paying attention to what it's actually focusing on, you could get false positives. Um, but we have had a great deal of success with it actually reacting and maybe even um, doing things on command as far as the stick figures go. Wave, you know, wave with your right hand, you know, that kind of stuff. And being I'm more of the visual guy anyways, that is uh, probably on the top of my list currently. Until something new comes up, then we might have to get something else. Hydron <laughs> <I drunk> Collider. <laughs> We'll have an episode coming up eventually about equipment, so I don't want to get too deep into that, but uh, John, since you're kind of technically minded, I'm curious your thought on the SLS camera. Honestly, I haven't made my mind up. We use one, and we've had results with it. It basically is an Xbox controller, um, and when you get something, and we've had things, but when you put your hand over the front and wipe it, kind of like an Etch-a-Sketch. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't go away, I think you've got something. Now, our experience has, we've never had anything where I could wipe my my hand over the front um, and, and make it stay there. So no, there's no way. I don't discount things out of hand, but I, I, I like to see, you know, an effort in, instead of jumping straight to Ghost. And, and that's the same with any piece of equipment. I'm not just picking on the SLS, but, you know, any piece of equipment, I like Adam. If you've had people, if you've had SLSs that react on command, I'd probably I'd be like, I, I want one like that. <laughs> well, and I and we have. I mean, yeah, a, a couple of times where we've, hey, could you wave with your right hand and they'll and they'll do it. Yeah, and that's, um, which that's pretty cool. We've had them. Um, um, a really great example of that, and I'll make this story quick. Was in a schoolhouse in Minnesota. And it looked like two stick figures standing on the desk, like, shaking their booties at us. Mm-hmm. And Sarah made the comment that um, Mr. Hyatt, me, has a camera that can see you. And they disappeared yep. that quick. Um, and they looked like they were smaller. In a little one-room schoolhouse, could I see little kids playing tricks like that? Yeah. Absolutely. Could I see them running off the minute they know we can see them? Absolutely. So that was that was a pretty cool experience. And that, to me, that makes that means a lot in that if equipment if equipment goes off, um, if it goes off in context of either what you're saying or where you're at, I think to me that that, that is a big um, that's a big plus. You know, mm-hmm. you can sit there and say, okay, all the scientific reasons why it did go off, but if it goes off in context of what you're saying and where you're at, um, that. To me, that's a big plus on, hey, maybe we call something. I like the SLS camera, although I do think it kind of takes the fun out of it sometimes. Because you can (laughs) see... Science isn't always fun. Right. It's just so fantastic to see something in front of you that we've never been able to physically see before. And then to get it to do what you're asking blows my mind. but, But that's happened, I mean, throughout modern history that's happened. So, what, 1830s? I can't remember now. You know, we didn't even know there were radio waves, then we discovered radio waves, now we can see radio waves, and, and the electron microscope, you know, well, the the theory of the atom was the ancient Greeks, but no one 
saw it until we actually built electron microscopes, and now, now you can see an atom and it blows your mind. And you're like, oh. And now we can split atoms, and now we're looking at subatom particles in quantum physics. So, you know, maybe one day we'll. And, and actually, they're, they're measuring them, they're not seeing them. But, you know, so my, my feeling is um, the paranormal has never been, uh, as far as scientists go, there's, there's a few scientists that take it seriously, but it's never been. Um, you know, really gone after by pure science. So, uh, I mean, you've got the Society for Paranormal Research that I just joined, uh, and they won't let you do a field study unless you are an accredited scientist, which is fine. Um, it doesn't please a lot of people because they will debunk 99% of stuff. But what I like is the guys actually are open-minded enough and they write papers on how it could happen, and hopefully that will lead science to look into some stuff. You know, you only need one thing. And and I, I keep banging on about it, but for example, um, when they found out that the universe is accelerating faster than it should, there's not enough energy to make it, then they came up with the theory and math for dark energy. Now here's the thing, they don't know what it is, right. they don't know what it looks like, they don't know how to measure it. Well, what does that sound like? Precisely. But, but mainstream science are buying this. Yeah. So maybe... Why is this so different? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they know there's something. They just they yeah. haven't quite figured out yet how to justify it to themselves. I mean, that's one big thing. But. Well, I think one of the problems is paranormal has, from especially from the 1800s, um, with, you know, has so many fakers and charlatans I think a lot of them are scared to go out on that fringe, you know, to be tricked. Mm -hmm. Because there are a lot of scientists that got tricked by things yeah. and charlatans. Mm -hmm. you know, Absolutely. They, I mean, they were measuring ectoplasm, and then it took them a while to figure out that it was cheesecloth and egg white, you know, and, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, why would you put yourself out on a, on a limb like that when you yeah. have a career in science that's doing quite well? Poor Harry Price. Right. <laughs> um, well, and you, you touched a little bit um, about background. I think that the some people outside of the paranormal community think that we're all um, not jobs. Right, not jobs. That's that's a good way of putting it. So I, without getting too terribly personal, um, I can tell you I've got some college under my belt. I am an emergency dispatcher uh, for my local police department. Adam, what is your education and employment background? Oh, my goodness. So, I am an automotive mechanic, I guess I should say, ex-military. Pretty much a mechanical background. Yeah, I guess that's pretty much me. <laughs> but you've got some college under your belt as well. Uh, I mean, a little bit. Yeah, not uh, not a ton. I've got uh, mostly, like, my Air Force technical school and, and stuff like that that I went through. And secondary for mechanic. Yes. What about you? Uh, also ex-military, um, British Army, and um, I did a three-year um, apprenticeship in Germany, in German, um, to be a bookbinder, and then when um, computers took over everything, basically, so um, IBM, this is back in the days when um, IBM used to train their own technicians, and you didn't go to college unless you were programming. To be a technician, the um, the industry were training their own technicians. So, so that's how I got into it, and then I've been in computers ever since. Kind of my background, where I come from. That's awesome. And I will just add an anecdote for John. Um, his background with being able to speak German. Actually, he was at the Granger House Victorian Museum, which is in Marion. Um, Adam is the president of the board there. Um, I am the self-appointed paranormal director. Um, but John, who, uh, his group has been gracious enough to come out and investigate a few times, and they're getting us some really great evidence. But because he was able to speak German, he was able to recognize that some of the things that they were getting was, in fact, German. Uh, and the matriarch of our beautiful home is a strong German woman, so that kind of tied in well together. So sometimes you just don't know what part of your background is going to help you out the most um, when you're investigating. Uh, my favorite piece of equipment is digital voice recorder. So I'm kind of the opposite of Adam. I do not ever want to sit and watch a screen 
for hours on end looking Why? for something. It's so much fun. No, it's not. You might see a bat. <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> um, I would rather sit and listen. I was going to say old. Right. <laughs> that's probably not going to be there right now. That'll be for another. That'll be yeah, for that's a whole other show. Tune, tune in another episode for that. Um, I would rather listen to silence for hours uh, in the hopes of getting that one EVP. Now, I don't consider myself to be anything super special, but I can only think of about one investigation we've ever done where I have not gotten any EVPs. John, do you guys find that EVPs are something that you guys get a lot or not so much? Um, we get them. Um, I have, we have a role, or actually I have a role because I, I will not go over any piece of audio evidence too many times because you will get audio pareidolia. The more you look, the more you will find. Um, that being said, at the beginning, Pure EVPs, we didn't get many, and I think it's because I wasn't trained myself. Mm -hmm. You sit and listen, and you're not really listening to it, because if you don't get any, you don't believe you're going to get any. Yeah. But once you start getting a few, and you're like, what was that? And then you go back, and then you catch it. Then you know kind of what to listen for, and then you kind of train your mind to, okay, and, and if I have to work too hard to hear it, I will leave it alone. I agree. You know, um... So, you know, compared to some groups that get AVPs every three minutes and some <laughs> groups, it, it, it's a thing where if you work too hard for it, it's probably not an EVP. Um, and, and a lot of them, to be really honest, a lot of them that I get that are clear as day, um, to give an anecdote, we did a 20-minute walk around a graveyard here in Cedar Rapids. Um, so we just did a 20-minute recce. As soon as I turned the recorder on, we got a really clear EVP of a girl's voice saying, it's cold, and we didn't get anything for the rest of the 20 minutes walking around. So I had trouble with that saying, why do we get it right at the beginning and then not the rest of it? But it was so clear, I was like, okay, we're going to put that in, we're going to use that Absolutely. as evidence. You know, so it's, it's, it, it depends on where you're coming from, as, for me. Yeah. Well, and that gives uh, my best advice for anybody in getting started, or even if you're not getting started, always start that digital voice recorder the second you set foot in wherever you're investigating. My experience is that most of our EVPs have come when we are having our own private conversations and not asking um, questions to those around us. So, can I add to that? Yeah. Just, just in my experience. So, when we go on a investigation. We've got like three or four of them, and we leave them out, and we always keep one or two back for ourselves. Plus, we've got the um, microphone on the camera. In my experience, usually we get a lot more EVP interaction when we're talking. So when we've taken it out for a smoke break, when we leave, mm-hmm. um, you know, we'll be talking. That's when we hear stuff. Yeah. Kind of talking with us or over us or, you know. Um, now, a lot of skeptics will say okay, you're hearing EVPs because that's when other noises are coming in, like breathing, and, and which is a fair argument. But, um, you know, that's where we get the most, and I, I'm not convinced always that's what it is. When you've got a class A or B EVP, though, I, I it's going to be pretty hard for you to talk me out of that. Yeah. You know, we might be able to disagree on what's being said, but, I mean, you know a good EVP when you hear one. Yeah. and it's, when, when we were at Edinburgh, so it was me. This is the first time I went. This is what got me into this. Yeah. So my prep was, because I didn't take it seriously, <laughs> I'm like, well, i got to contribute something. I went and bought a $30 digital yep. recorder, and then, there you go, I'm a ghost hunter. <laughs> whatever, you know. Um, but I had it on uh, my buddy Jeff, who's, who's in the group now, and, and his wife, Jim, was there, because she goes along every now and then. And, and, and she was the only female in the group. So we were walking around Edinburgh, and she was talking. And you hear a female voice while she's talking over the top say what she's saying. You know, that blew me away. That's what got me into right. it, stuff like that. I was like, that's that's clear. You can hear it. It's not wind. It's not breathing. It's a female voice. And it can't be her because she's talking already right. on it. So. And I had a very similar experience with you, what was that, two weeks ago now? Um, 
when we were all out there, four males and myself, and I've got several places where I heard a female talking while I'm talking, so that's physically impossible, because I was the only female out there, um, and those are what I love. I mean, those, like I said, it, it's going to take you a lot to talk me out of that one. Maybe what it's saying we can have an argument about, but the fact that it exists in shunts, that's what keeps me, I think, in it, uh, what keeps me going. So that kind of brings to light a question. I, I've always been one who I think we all have our own goals, and we've kind of talked about this in the past, um, what we're looking for, what we're still doing this for. So for me, I'm looking for information from these people. Um, I'm trying to prove that we are talking to deceased people by getting facts of their life and then finding them in historical documents. So I'm curious what the two of you are looking for uh, or what what your purpose is, I guess. Um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, as the president of a um, historic museum, you know, one big thing is the history aspect of it. So over the years, I've grown to, because of the paranormal investigating, I've grown to appreciate the history more and more because without all of our history, we wouldn't have any paranormal activity. So I found it really interesting when we can get someone's name or get someone's information and we can go back in history and find that actual person and maybe a little bit more about their story. Um, and I find that really interesting. I would say my biggest get from this would be to figure out what ha I mean, honestly, what happens after we pass away. Is all of this stuff just stuff that's imprinted from history? Or is the intelligent haunting really intelligent like is it really a spirit we're interacting or is all of this just things from history that have imprinted themselves on the environment so i guess that would be that would be my big my big goal would be to determine which of those is true or is both of them true the Maybe. pound has, has, has come in here sorry there's tons of clicking it's all good it's all morse code yes right. if you can figure out the code <laughs> you get a free t-shirt <laughs> um i guess for me what i i didn't really have a goal when i started well i still do have the same goal when i started is I enjoy doing it. I mean, mm -hmm. for me, it's like going fishing for some people or camping. You know, you go out, you, you throw it out, see what you get. I mean, um, to me, ghost hunting, really, because, and maybe we'll do this, I'd like to do this in another podcast, but, you know, uh, we, we call it ghost hunting, and, and, but do we know the ghost? I mean, that's a leap of faith right. that it's a dead person that you get. Basically, what you're doing is you, you are searching for anomalies, and I enjoy doing that. You know, all the things that the ghost hunters do, I enjoy doing that. But my ultimate goal would be that if I can put together a, a structured experiment, which I do, and if I can go out to a place and, and get a, a anomalous result, um, and then go back and do it again, I want something that's repeatable and repeatable and repeatable. If I can do that, then anybody that says, well... And they can give all the skeptical answers that they want. I say, well, then you go do it exactly the same experiment that I just did. And right. you will get the same result. And then you try and explain it. Because I don't I don't try to explain things. I say, I put it, usually on our videos, I put it out there and say, make of that what you will. Mm -hmm. I don't try and force people into any kind of belief structure or anything. I'm just saying, this shouldn't have happened. This is kind of weird. My goal is, if I can get something that's repeatable, I'm a happy cat. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this, our second episode of Seeking the Paranormal. I am Sarah and I'm joined by my co-hosts John and Adam and tonight we're going to talk about the commercialization of the paranormal field and this is such a deep topic that we're going to kind of give an overview tonight and then over the next few episodes we'll dig a little deeper into each of the categories. But before we get to that, I'm just curious what you guys have coming up. We are going Friday to the Squirrel Cage. Yes, Squirrel Cage Jail in Council Bluffs. 
definitely excited about that. But speaking of that, today we are talking about the commercialization of the paranormal field. And Squirrel Cage Jail is just one of those places that has found a way to commercialize on their building being potentially haunted. So I thought I would start out by defining commercialization for everybody. Um, And the dictionary does describe it as a process of managing or running something principally or for financial gain. Um, So with that, I'm sure there are plenty of places that you can think of and plenty of things that you can think of within the paranormal community where people are starting to jump on this. Obviously, it's not something new. This is something that's been around as long as ghosts have been around. You think back to the spiritualism era where people were making a lot of money proclaiming to be able to speak with spirits either through seances, table tipping, talking boards, automatic writing, you name it, people are finding a way to profit from it. Actually, I think it's just human nature, to be honest with you. I mean, it's it's no different than snake oil. I mean, that didn't, you know, that probably started with the beginning of medicine. And I'm sure there were a couple of um, sketchy shaman running around getting fed for free. <laughs> for you sure. Know? And, and so, you know, I, I think it's just an evolution, you know, of, of something that's just basic human nature. Well, that makes sense. And when you say commercialization of the paranormal, I must admit, um, when we brought the topic up, I immediately took on kind of a negative feel for it, but not all of it's negative. I think there's some definite positive aspects to it. I, I mean, as far as the places go where we go visit, we pay to go visit, I have nothing against that within reason. Um, as long as, um, you know, people are gaining evidence there, they understand there is an upkeep need and, and it's not cheap. So mm-hmm. I get that. Um, however, some places I feel a lot of money, and I don't see them putting the money back in there because I've been there more than once, and they get shabbier and shabbier every time they go. So I would agree know, with that. And, and, and also, we didn't get any evidence. So. Well, and that, I think, is definitely one of the problems. Um, there are definitely places that have put the paranormal label on themselves, and not honestly. I'll, I'll talk to Adam here in a second because he is the president of the board for the Victorian House Museum here in Marion, which is where we're located. Um, it's the Granger House Victorian Museum, and he's been part of the movement to bring in the paranormal to that. So we'll talk to him in a second. But one thing I wanted to share with you guys, um, I was doing some research before we started to see if I could find how much Americans are spending on the paranormal in general in a year. And I could not find anything with a definitive number on it. But I started to think about what we spend money on. And you're talking equipment, investigations, the events we go to, any merchandise that we buy there, and then our travel expenses to do all those things. So I would hate to even know what my family's bill is per year, let alone what all Americans are. But I would guess it's a pretty hefty amount. Adam, how's the Granger House handling the paranormal? Well, it's been a great form of income for us, for sure. I know before it, we were having a few money struggles, and now that we've brought it in and embraced it, um, it's definitely helped with funding. Um, And I mean, we're booked up every weekend this month, for the month of July, which is nice. We hear stories when investigators come in, and they, like John was saying, they tell their stories. But I don't really have any issue with telling them that there's no historical facts to back that, uh, because I want our history to be real. I don't want to let them embellish it. And I mean, there's even been rumors put out there about certain things that we found through history that is not true, but yet it still gets brought up. I don't think embellishing it ever does any good. I mean, I think we're we're in one of those places where we're able to just celebrate the fact that, yes, it's haunted, I guess, as I say in quotes, but it's nothing scary. There's no big scandal. There's, you know, there wasn't bodies buried under the carriage house. I mean, no, there's nothing crazy like that. It's just, it is what it is and let it, just let it be that. Why do you say haunted in quotes? Sometimes the word haunted, in my opinion, people automatically assume it's scary. I think that that kind of goes along with that. So sometimes when people ask me if it's haunted, 
Yes, it is. But it's not scary haunted, so I guess... I don't know if there's a different word to maybe use other than haunted or, or what, but that's why I use the in quotes, because I don't want people to think haunted as in scared. So you don't want to go the full Zach Baggins Cleveland portal? No, I am not... I am definitely not going to say that there is a portal um, anywhere near or around... Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I definitely uh, don't want to go that direction. I don't want to put anything false out there. If we were to be contacted by most, if not maybe all, um, TV shows, I would probably say no. Well, you could have final say on it in the contract. That's what I'd do. I would, but then I wonder if it would ever even get televised. They still pay you. Well, that's true, I guess. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> the problem with the Granger House being haunted is... Uh, as I believe WTF Investigations put it, it's just a very comfortable haunted yeah, it's, location. It's, it's it's very it's it's one of those sublime and it's very subtle. So people that are doing it, um, you know, record everything and then check your data when you're done, and 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 you will find things going on. You know, you'll hear. We've had a couple of EVPs. Ghostbox's excellent response. I will say that, and I'm and I'm I'm love hate relationship with the Ghostbox, but. Um, you know, I've got more at the ghost box at the Granger house than I have at Edinburgh or anywhere else. We're going to try this again. Um, we have concise answers, questions. Otherwise, we'll take it just radio chatter. Um, just that I'm listening. I'm sure the other thing is, though, and I'm going to put a caveat on that. It seems to me the more you go, the more you get. So that's that, at least that's our experience. So when we first went, um, Eric fell asleep really quick <laughs> because nothing was. Eric's our fight club guy. You know, he he wants the marbles thrown at his head and slammed against the wall. Sure. I mean that that's what he's looking for. And I've I've already told him, you know, you're never going to find it. You know, we enjoy his company and he's fun. So, but that's what he's looking for, and he's not going to get it. And anybody like that's not going to get it at the Granger House. But um, Nico loves going there because he had his first. He said something touched his hand. And, you know, I'm not going to argue with him. So you know, he's, well, he seems like a pretty honest person. I don't yeah. see him just yeah. making that up. So you know, and that, the reason I go that way is like it didn't happen to me, and I've got no record, you know, no way mm -hmm. of proving it. So that's why I say it that way. I'm not calling him a liar. Just, right, yeah. Um, you know, and, and yeah, the Great is is just nice, laid back, it's comfortable. Like I say, first time we went, not really much, just a couple of things that made you go, hmm. But then, you know, our third investigation, it's, it's, it's almost like you're having a conversation with them at the dining table when you run the, yeah. the ghost box, you know, we, it's just tons of stuff. And that's where we did our really annoying video, which is the flashcard thing. And, you know, we were holding up flashcards in the dining room with just words written on it, showing it to the room. And, you know, some of them are stretched, but some of them are so clear what was on that flashcard yeah. coming through. So, you know, that, that, that's an experiment I'd love to do again. One thing, though, that I do think is important, I do think that the paranormal has saved some of these historical buildings. And while, you know, Velisca is debatable as to the historical relevance of the house itself, um, Waverly Hills is one that I, uh, I can tell you has been saved by the paranormal community. Um, without the interest in that building, uh, would be an old folks home right now, I believe. I have a question. Yes. So I read this week, there was a post on Waverly Hills and a couple of local people said that the scuttlebutt is, it's going to get knocked down. I can't believe that for a second. I can't either. I mean, having just been there... What, a month ago now um i mean they're putting in new windows i mean they're doing you know the everything looks up and up and i will say tina and uh the rest of the staff have talks about making it a hotel that's it yeah um but using the building um just modifying it I will reach out to Tina and see if I can get a comment on that. But I, I do believe that at one time the intention was to use the existing building and modify it into a haunted hotel, kind of like what the Stanley has become, kind of a paranormal hotspot hotel um, for people to go to. But I, I'll reach out to them and see if I can get a comment on that. Um, and we can talk about that next time or whenever I get an answer on that as well. Well, there's two more subjects, I guess, that I'd like to touch on during this this podcast is the equipment. 
and the people. Yeah, I, w I was just going to say one building I want to uh, just mention because I think it's kind of a cool thing. Um, I just Googled buildings that the paranormal has saved. And the Specht Building in Omaha was built in 1884, and it is the city's only cast iron, I think that's what they said, building. They were all set to tear it down to make room for expansion of the Omaha Performing Arts. And they ended up saving it by having a paranormal group come in and find evidence. And they've decided to keep the building now. And as far as I know, they're opening it up to investigation. So um, I think that's pretty cool. I think the paranormal field is doing some really good things. And it's through this type of thing, which is still commercialization, but we've been able to save pieces but of history. Good that's yeah, a good exactly. Yeah, it's not all negative. Um, but equipment is absolutely something I wanted to talk on. And I, I was making notes for myself. Um, and I think that there are some people who are making equipment and some pieces of equipment that are being made that, and even put on TV for that matter, that don't do anything but light up and make noise, but they get people excited. And so people are buying it and we're all wasting our money on it. Um, before I get John's opinion, Adam, I'm curious to ask you how much money you think you have spent on paranormal equipment? I would say we're in the four to $5,000 range, probably. And I, I think we're pretty typical for a lot of people in this field. Um, but John, you're kind of the brain behind a lot of equipment and a lot of new pieces of equipment you and Adam are putting together. So I'm definitely... No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> I'm definitely uh, <laughs> eager to hear your opinion on... I... you got to remember, I'm a lot more cynical than a lot of people. Um, I only have to look at the housing, to be honest with you. And if it's got blinky lights and they put it in a shape like it looks like something that came from Ghostbusters or they're using the pyramid shape or, you know, any kind of mystical thing or it's got a crystal stuck to it somewhere, you know, I know right then and there that that's what the market's for. Now, the problem with that being is uh, these companies that make these, so their market is only the Ghost Hunters, Ghostbusters kind of niche yes. that they've found. So they build it that way. Now, the problem therein being is if they sell me a meter that goes off from Ghost of them, and they know that I'm going to somewhere like Edinburgh that's, you know, going to be haunted, in my mind at least, mm -hmm. as a consumer, that does not go off. It's not that the building isn't haunted, it's that's a crap piece of equipment. So what they do is they make this equipment as sensitive as possible, you know, um, and I'm sure there's enough room we've got a smart chip in there that sits there and says, I haven't done anything in 20 minutes. Let's make a little bleep bloop mm -hmm. noise and flash a light. And it's good. People say the building's haunted, correlated with their equipment going off, so they feel justified in buying that equipment. And then every time they bring something out, all oh, these guys make great equipment. We got some great evidence with their equipment. Right. They'll buy the next one. And so it goes. So I don't understand why we have to buy ghost equipment. What, if we want something that measures electrical magnetic fields, why are we getting this silly little bleepy bloopy thing? Well, I know why we're doing it because it's cheaper than a trifle. <laughs> well, no, that's not necessarily the reason. The reason really is if you look at the difference between the trifle. And trifles aren't really that murder expensive compared to a lot of ghost well, hunters. Well, that's stuff. absolutely true. You're correct. So, and you look at the ghost hunter one, the trifle is really boring on camera and you can't see it in the yes. dark going off. You can hear you can hear it, but you can't see it. Mm -hmm. Now, this little ghosty one, it's got all the flashy lights and it's bleeping and blooping. And also, it'll go off a lot more than my trifle would. So, there I have an issue. So, you know, I, I think... Me personally, I prefer using you know the actual scientific measuring or taking a piece of equipment that's made for something. For example, use the the metal detectors. It's a metal detector. It's not now. I rewired mine so it does have a flashy light because we record in the dark. But you know that's the only thing I've changed on it. I mean, some of them are horrendous. The the portal, Huff's portal. He's selling those between one and four grand. Mm -hmm. I built one for four hundred. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, and that's a great example of a piece of equipment we've seen on TV shows. So everybody wants it. And you were not the first person to tell me that if you crack one of those open, what you'll find in there is nothing more than what you're probably already using. It just has reverb on it and sounds different. It's three, it's two guitar pedals, an amp, a mini amplifier. And yeah, I put flashing lights on mine too, just to say that I did. 
Right. You know, and it looks good on video. But, you know, it's it's horrendous, you know, what what you know, what these people are doing and, and selling and, and I look at it. And the other thing that I hate about it is if you are seriously doing ghost hunting, it makes you look stupid running around. People running around with this equipment that's flashing and going off. You're not winning any anybody that's sitting on the fence yeah. saying, is paranormal real or not? Here's my evidence. If you're going to go in there with that kind of equipment that's going off every 10 minutes and it just looks like something like the Ghostbusters movie, you know, you're not going to sway somebody's opinion that way. You know, I seriously, I don't think. The two I did like. One, one in the shape aesthetic. of a pyramid. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, there you go. I just wish it wasn't in the shape of a pyramid, but I didn't mind that. Um, the only thing I'd wish, I wish that they'd done, um, and, it, and it's really easy, is put like a pot on it, like a resistor. So because the range on it was huge. Yeah. Which they done on purpose, so it goes off more. I understand, but. You know, if, but it, it actually did what it said on the tin. But if they just put in a, a pot in there where I could have dialed it in if I got it in a small room, you know, that would have been useful. Mm -hmm. And then the other one was the static with the little rods that come out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it looks good on camera, but it actually did when I tested it. You know, we get near it with static and they light up in whatever direction the static was coming from. But you had to get up on it. So I like that. I like things, you know, that do what they say. I don't mind if you jazz it up, but. You know, if you're going to sell me rubbish, you mm -hmm. know, and then stick a crystal on the top, you know. <laughs> Everything's better with a crystal on the Well, you know, I'm being facetious a little, but, you know, it's, <laughs> it's it just, it annoys me. Yeah. You know? And then the people building this know what they do and how to build it. See, you can bet that they pretty much don't believe that they're picking up ghosts, you know. Otherwise, if they really believed in that and they were trying to build equipment that did that, they'd build better. Well, and, you know... It's been said before, if we don't know really what ghosts are, what makes them, you know, how to detect them necessarily, how can we build equipment to find them? Um, so I think there's maybe something, some thoughts put into that. You just shotgun it. But I guess my, my feeling is, you know, engineers know tolerances and this and that. So um, if you're looking for a ghost, that's fine. And you want to use it, you know, temperature or static or you know, coordinating current, fluctuations, magnetism. We have detectors, and that's fine. Build those detectors, but don't build them where they're going to go off every time, you know, um, there's a thunderstorm three miles away or yeah. someone's cell phone goes off in five rooms down. You know, I mean, we've all had maybe our speakers go off just before our phone goes off. You can hear it through, you know, mm -hmm. stuff yeah. like that. Or the other one I've seen people do, especially when they're making a video, is they'll have an EMF, they got walkie-talkies, they'll just start keying their walkie-talkie mm -hmm. and then go off. Or so, not turning your phone off or on airplane yeah. mode. Yeah. And, so, and unfortunately, a lot of, like on public events, they don't always tell you to do that. Um, yeah, I love it when you see someone with a K2 in their hand and on Facebook Live, and the K2 goes off, and they're like, whoa, really? Yeah. Think that think that through a little bit, because one of the big things that I always tell people when we're doing public investigations is turn your phone off or put it on airplane mode, mm -hmm. one or the other. Well, you can't be on Facebook Live on airplane mode. So, yeah. well, the other thing I've seen on K two meters do, if you've ever listened to that um, interference that comes from a cell phone before it starts ringing on your speakers, it, it kind of goes. Zzz, mm -hmm. zzz. You watch K two on some of those. That flickering that it does mm -hmm. matches up to that interference wave, you know, almost exactly. So I'm like, oh, I that's believe that. Well, I will mention again, Adam and John are kind of putting their heads together to make some new equipment. So hopefully one day we'll be able to offer you some um, new and exciting things. I know um, one thing I think John's been working on that I think is really cool is he took a trigger object, in this case a cigarette box, and put um, a sensor on it which I think is ingenious and very simple and something that I don't and know. And it only detects negative static electricity. Yeah. And you have to be up on it to do it. So, you know, my feeling was if the ghost wants to get near it and grab it and get intimate with my box of cigarettes, you know. And, and this, this weekend is going to be a great place for that. Yeah. And, and well, I absolutely in a jail, 100%. Yeah. I yeah. hope that next yeah. week we can <laughs> tell you how amazing it was. So I'm really that, excited that, about that. that. And the light stays on all the time. The negative makes it dim. So if that light starts dimming. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> so 
like the locations, there is an upside to the equipment though too. And I, I do think that why I don't have the engineering mind that John does, I do think there are pieces of equipment that have been created that are kind of doing some really cool things. Uh, one example is the SLS camera. I've seen that do things that I can't explain. You know, we talked about asking the the figure you know to raise a certain hand or reach out and touch your hand or to do something specific and they're doing it in turn um and unless it's programmed to do what your voice is asking which not gonna happen yeah i i I can't imagine how that would happen but i i think that there are some good pieces of equipment being built and and even with paranologies i yeah go ahead sorry sorry, i don't mean but the cut in on that that's also a good example of commercialization because basically you can build one of those for an xbox controller which are 70 bucks right and a tablet and they sell those things for like 1200 dollars yes well absolutely i mean it was on ghost adventures i mean i won't lie when i say the first place i saw it was on ghost adventures and i remember telling sarah we need to buy one. And, and she we said, had one real that's quick really after expensive. That. I said, I don't care. I want one. And I mean, I understand. And that's good that, you know, I guess that's a part of capitalism is let's, let's try something new to catch ghosts. But, you know, that kind of markup to me is just extortionate. Well, mm-hmm. and I do happen to have Digital Dow Scenes website up. And the SLS camera that they have got on here, it's taken its time coming up. But I believe it was for 1250 Out of stock. Probably. Um, I know you can get it on some websites for around uh, $1,275 currently. Um, I know that on some websites you can get it for right around $500 if you're interested in maybe getting it a little bit less and built properly. Uh, you can send us a message on Facebook and I'll see if I can help you out with that. Um I did want to mention paranologies as well. I think, and John, John did allude, they do have some decent equipment. Um, I like the fact that they're using a 3D printer. I think that brings the cost down, and that's probably why they're a little bit cheaper than some of the other places. But just be careful about everything you're buying. I've, I've had to learn that lesson the hard way. Um, I've used museum money to buy what essentially has turned into junk, but that's my own fault because I went for something that lit up and made noise. So. I think a good indication before you buy equipment is think about the theory that they're doing. The theory behind it is it's looking for X, Y, or Z, whatever it's looking for. Go and look and see what is the normal equipment that looks for that, yeah. that, that people in the field you know, need to do their job mm-hmm. looking for that. One other thing, um, that, you know, there, there's a lot of different ways that people are making money on um, the paranormal. Um, paranormal tourism has become a niche of its own and is huge. Um, people are going to Paracons and all kinds of events now. Um, and I'm excited because it's bringing the community together. Although, um, we'll talk about the paranormal community in one of our upcoming episodes and it's doing some good, but it's also, uh, making some riffs as well. But these Paracons, for example, are bringing a lot of money to these communities even if it's just for a weekend. And granted, it's not bringing in like Super Bowl type money. It's bringing in money to a town that maybe doesn't have much else going on and it's benefiting those local businesses, even if it's a hotel. Um, I can tell you that um, in Mansfield, Ohio, they've got a Paris icon um, that takes place in May. Um, And I believe in 2020, it's going to be May 2nd and 3rd, maybe. If you pay the tour cost for the Mansfield tour, which is only 15 or $20, depending on which tour you want to do. The rest of the convention is free to you. And they've got some really big names that are going there. But all that money then is going to benefit keeping Mansfield open for the rest of us who are interested, whether it be for historical purposes or paranormal purposes. So, you know, as a community, I think we've got some things that are really good that are taking place. But people are definitely making money off of that. And there's there's no denying that. Um, And Unfortunately, we've each got to look out for ourselves and make sure that we're not being taken advantage of, I guess. 